You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Life in Christ, we walk through 1 John, written to the church for our joy, our holiness, and our assurance. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 John. We're going to continue our walk through this wonderful book. Um, I'm pretty sure you know what today's all about. It's, it's about love. It's about our love for God, our love for others, and His love for us. And this is, you know, a great theme all through John's writings, not only here in First John, but also within the book of John. This idea of love is something that we'll be coming back to as we continue to walk through 1 John. So today, we're going to be in chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses um, 7 through 11 of chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Um, but if you remember last week, uh, I began the message by referencing kind of three tests that John is giving us to kind of to look at whether we truly know God, right? He, he's, he's writing these, this letter or this writing for many different reasons, um, so that we don't sin, so that we can have assurance, um, so that we know what to believe in, in an age of theological, all kinds of different theologies happening. And again, that's not just 2022. That was then and any time from, from then until now where, where that is the case. Um, so he, I, I found in this gentleman's writings, Robert Law, a three tests that we've just kind of been looking at here as we, we began chapter two. The, the first test is a theological test. Do I believe the right things about Jesus. The, the second test is a moral. Do I obey the commands of, of God? That's kind of what we looked at last week. And the third test is an ethical test, and it's this. Do I love others? Do I love others? These tests that John is giving us have one of two results. Either we actually see that we are not a disciple of Jesus... And, and that could be a good thing. It might be a hard thing right at first, but we know if we go to the doctors and, and he explores and does tests and finds something wrong with us, yes, we might not like what he says, right? We might not like what he tells us, but at least we know what's wrong and maybe we can find a way to, to fix it. So as, as John unpacks this and continually pushes up against, hey, are you really saved? He continually pushes up against that. Are, are you really saved? Do you, do you really know God? Do you really trust him? Do you really believe in him? As he's pushing up against that, that could be a good thing. Because we don't want to live the rest of our lives deceived. We want to know for sure whether or not we are saved. And then on the flip side of that, for those who know that I'm saved, who are believers, these tests give us assurance. We can look at our lives and see these things and say, Okay, you know, I, I see this fruit in my life, and, and many times we will have brothers and sisters around us that will also identify of these fruits also. So, as I said, this is kind of where we've been in chapter two, where we looked at these three tests. You know, the theological tests, where in, in verses one and two, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do you know him as your advocate? 
Do you know what it means that, that he paid the price for your sins, the propitiation? He took the penalty. And then last week we looked at the moral test, and it can be summed up there in verse 3 of John 2. It says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. In other words, you know God, you are in Christ, you are a disciple of Christ, if you keep and delight in keeping and go on keeping the commandments of the Lord. And last week we looked at, okay, what does it mean to obey? And what it means to obey means that we're allowing someone else or something else to cross our will. And within the biblical context and within the Christian faith, we are allowing God and his word to cross our will. That's what it means to be obedient. Be, be obedient. And then the third test that we come to today is the ethical test. And this is what John's focuses on this passage 7 through 11. And the ethical test is this. Do I love others? Do I love others? And I'm just being honest here as as one who's been studying this and looking this over, this has been a difficult week studying this, this passage. Not so much that it's hard to decipher, it's what it means, what it truly means. Do you love others? Because what we're going to see and what we're going to find out is there is no neutrality in this. You can't just say, well, if I, and this is what John's argument is, if I, if I don't hate them, if I don't dislike them, I'm just going to ignore them, but I'm not really loving them. Well, John's going to say, no, if you're ignoring them and you're hating them, you're hating them. There's no neutrality in this. That was hard for Joe to, to wrestle with this week. Is this you're either loving them or you're hating them. That's a hard truth. But it's covered with what Christ has done for us. It's covered in, in the love that he showed for us, and, and we will unpack much of that today. So let me read 7 through 11 and, and pray for us, and we'll dive in. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, John says, but an old commandment that you had had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness, the darkness has blinded his eyes. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you again for your word. And Lord, there is some wonderful things within your word here today that, that once we see them, man, it's, it just warms our hearts. And there's also some things in here that, that really pushes against us and, and really challenges us. But Lord, your spirit is working in us and we know that you're working all things for our good. Even that time of uneasiness or that time of uncomfortableness, Lord, you are working in us to change us and mold us into your son's image. Lord, I pray that we would not quench the spirit today and allow that to happen. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, again, I want to bring to your attention how John is caring for these folks. 
Again, he is saying some hard truths, but he is also lovingly doing so. I mean, he, he calls them the beloved, right? Beloved. He, he really cares for these folks. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. So which is it, John? <laughs> is it a, a new commandment or an old one? Are, are, are you kind of like you started with all the witches and everything in, in the thous and all that in the, in the beginning of chapter one? What are you saying here? I mean, is it a new commandment or is it an old commandment? What are, you, what are you saying, John? Well, the answer is yes. That's the answer. It's yes. When John writes, he expects those he is writing to to have knowledge of his previous writing, which is the gospel of John, Right? Even if they do not, the gospel message should contain this commandment to love one another. And this is the commandment that he's giving. This is the new commandment that is also an old commandment that we are to love. We are known, we are to be known to be his disciples by the love we show one for another. That's exactly what we read earlier um, in the service in John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. This is Jesus talking. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. See, John can say the command to love one another is not new. Rather, it is old. It is something his readers have had from the beginning. From the beginning of their Christian experience. In other words, this idea of loving others should be coming with the gospel. And that's informative for us as we go and share the gospel to others. That's what we're called to do is to go and make disciples and share the good news of what Christ has done. Well, that good news should contain that one of the things he wants us to do is love others, is to love others. Even when Jesus said this command, it was not completely new, right? It had its root in our Old Testament passage we read today, Leviticus nineteen eighteen. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Piper says about this verse, um, which I think is, is very helpful. He says this, this verse is a very remarkable rebuke to typical gospel preaching and witnessing today. For John, the commandment of love belongs to what people should hear from the beginning. It is not an optional stage two in Christian growth. The gospel contains not only the commandment to trust Jesus, but also the commandment in the power of that trust to be changed into a loving person. So John's holding up this ethical test that are you truly born again it'll truly show whether or not you love others. First, the brothers and sisters of Christ, and then everyone else. And even on to, what did Jesus say? We are to love our enemies. We are to love our enemies, even. What kind of love are you calling us to, John? Right, we've, we said that this new commandment that he's talking to, he's referring back to John, um, his writings in the book of John, in the gospel of John, and we see there that he's talking about love. 
So what love is he calling us to? The word love in the English language is very ambiguous one because it can mean different things in different contexts depending upon how it is used. However, in the Greek, the language that the New Testament is written in, the various kinds of love are more clearly defined by the use of the different words that they use within the Greek language. And there's four of them, right? The first one is um, erao, which is not found at all in the New Testament. This, this word for love is not found in the, in the New Testament. It's passion-seeking satisfaction. And, and the noun form of this is eros, is where we get the word erotic. So now you can see that none of that kind of thing should be part of the Christian life. Because it's not even in the New Testament. That kind of love does not exist in the New Testament. The, the second word that the Greeks use could be stergo. It's love of kindred. So this is kind of the idea of, of love for a parent to a child or a child to a parent. This is what kind of love whenever this word is used. And we're going to read all of these as love. But there's a big difference in the different loves. The third kind is phileo, the attraction of people to one another who are close together, both inside and outside the family. It includes concern, care, and hospitality. Also love for things and a sense of being fond of them. So this is the the kind of love whenever we would see this or they would write about this is the love that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for the love that we show whenever we show hospitality. Maybe we say, man, I just love coffee. That's the kind of love that, that the Greeks would, would write in there. They would use this phileo word. But the word that God uses in John, because God's the author of everything, is um, agapeo. And many of us know the noun form of that is agape love. If you've probably been in church at any amount of time or heard any amount of sermons, you've heard about agape love. And agape love is a love called out of a person's heart by an awakening sense of value in an object, object which causes one to prize it. It's much different, isn't it? So, so something has caused us to be awakened to the, to the enormous value of this object, which causes us to prize it. And then it goes on to say the soul's sense of values and preciousness of its object. And, I, and I'm sorry, I've just watched the movies far too much. Every time I see the word precious, and you all went there too. Exactly. It's a very good indication as Smeagol called the ring precious. That whatever that ring brought, it, it made him feel that it had so much value that he would kill for it, that he would go to the ends of the earth for it. This is the exact kind of love that God is talking about here. It's a beautiful description of it, a picture drawn for us by movie. That's exactly what we're talking about here. That's exactly what we're talking about. Agape love is the love which is the fruit of God's spirit in the believer's life. It's the fruit because because it's the spirit that awakens us to see what Christ is and who he is and all the things that we, we just sang about and all the things that he has done for us. 
It's the spirit that awakens us to see that. Because before that, we're, we're groping around in the dark and we're blind. We're dead. We cannot see it. We have blinders over our eyes until the spirit changes us and we actually see who he is. And then the flip side of that is we actually see who we really are. And for those of us that maybe are early in our Christian walk, that seeing us for who we truly are, that continues until the day he takes you home. And as you continue to see who you are, who you truly are, and truly how bad you truly are, it makes Jesus look even better. And what he did for us, even more valuable. That's what awakens this agape kind of love in our souls, in our immaterial man. The love which God commands us to have toward God himself and toward others, even enemies, is this agape love. It's agape love. Guess what? Stop and think. I just just saw this this morning. This is the same love God has for each one of you. So, agape love, a kind of love that sees you as a prize, as something to value. That's the love that God loves you with. How easy is it for us to believe what the world around us tells us our value is? How easy it for us to find our identity in our job or or, or who we are as, as parents or who we are as um, bosses or, or what have you. But stop and think about this. The God, that, the God that created everything, the God that created the universe and everything has this agape love for you. That means there is some value that he has assessed to you. Value enough to send his own son so that he may be in fellowship with you. How incredible is that. Which means that agape love in the Bible is not primarily an emotion, but it's a volitional attitude. See, we believe that whenever we say love, all that's an emotion. Well, whenever we unpack this agape love that the Bible talks about, it's really a volitional attitude. And all all I mean by a volitional attitude is the power to use your own will. It's an attitude. It's a purposeful thing that you do. It's not just a feeling that you have. It's not necessarily an emotion. We're going to unpack that. Gordon H. Clark states, love is the volition. Love is the volition. Love is not an emotion. The volition to do good to others. It must be a volition because God commands, thou shalt love. And commands are addressed to the will. So when God says, thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself, thou shalt love God before others. Okay, he's commanding your will to do something. It's not an emotion. He's commanding your will to do something. This is contrary to what many people understand about love. Because love is so often viewed as a physical feeling, an emotion. Biblically, however, agape love is a volitional attitude in the heart which may or may not result in physical emotion. Think of the cross. The cross is the definition of love. It's the definition of agape love. 
Do you think Jesus was having a good old time up there? Do you think he had the emotions that we tend to think about when we talk about love, all the, the warm and fuzzies, and whenever we're apart from the person, we, we get a, a gut-wrenching thing, and whenever they do something wrong, we get this gut wrench all these emotions? This is the love that, the agape love that the Bible is referring to. So stop and think about this. Think about what John has already said to us. In chapter 1, when he talked about, hey, brother, sister, don't say that you're without sin because you're going to have sin. And whenever you do sin, go and confess your sin. Run to the advocate. Well, if you're... If your thought process, if your belief about God is that, well, love is just emotion. So therefore, if I'm doing right, God's going to love me a lot. If I'm doing bad, God's not going to love me so much. That's an emotional love. And that's not the kind of love that, we're, that he's talking about in the Bible. The love that we're talking about in the Bible is God's will is to love you. And there ain't nothing you can do to change that. So when we're, we're faced with that decision of, of okay, we, we have broke a command, we, we have fallen short, which we all do every day in some way or another, do we run to the cross knowing that my Father in heaven loves me with a kind of love that I cannot break because it's not an emotional love, it's rooted and grounded in his will because he truly values me. Do I run to that cross? Do I run to him there or do I run and hide? Because I think, oh, I've upset him. It's a big deal. It's a big deal in our sanctification. It's a big deal in our, our everyday walk, how we think of this and how we work this out and how we truly know God to who he is. If God's will is to love us, we cannot stop that, no matter what we do. Once he has called us to be his children, once he has sent the spirit to change us, it's just amazing Amazing fact. Let me give you one more quote about this kind of love from James Boyer. Love in Scripture is not emotional, but volitional. It is concerned not with how we feel, but how we act. It responds not to the attractiveness of other person, but the condition and need of the other person. Okay, that sentence right there is why we have 50% divorce rate in the church and outside the church. Because two people, they fall in love. It's all about emotion, right? And then six months into the marriage, they see that all they did is marry another sinner, okay? And now all the emotion's gone, so now, oh, I don't love that person anymore. Well, no. Did you truly love them in the first place? Because if you truly loved them in the first place, all you're going to be doing is thinking of their best interests first because that's the kind of love that God's talking about. That's the kind of love that he's working through. I mean, teaching us here. It responds, again, it responds not to the attractiveness of the other person, but to the condition and need of the other person. Its motivation is not the selfish desire to enjoy the other person, but the selfish desire to benefit him. In other words, you're always thinking of others first. That's the life of a Christian. And the thing is, is, is what we don't believe is there's greater joy in thinking of others first all the time. Whenever we think there's greater joy in fulfilling what Joe wants, what Joe wants, what Joe wants. And hey, I, I'm, I'm right with you guys. I'm right with you guys. 
Essentially, Christian love is concern and benevolence towards others. It's a volitional will. It's purposefully loving others. It's, it's, it's not that you have a, a special feeling. It's that you're, you're following the command. Because why? Because you value Christ so much. Because he first valued you so much. So if we believe the right things about God, if we believe the right things about God and what Jesus has done, those things will be precious to you. That's why it's so important to each and every Sunday that we lift Christ up. It's not about you. It's about him. It's not about what you do. It's about what he has done. And because of what he has done, there's some things that are going to happen. And the more that we understand him and more that we see this, the greater the value of everything that he has done rises up in him. And our values is what determines our behavior. What you value determines what you behavior. So, so the Bible has this neat little triangle that, that he consistently lifts up. This is what you are to believe because it's going to shape your values and your shape, it'll shape your values. It'll determine your behavior. This is the gospel. Somewhere along the line, we get off track. That's why we don't come here and we don't open up the word of God and I give you 10 things to go do because you're not gonna value anything that way and you're not really gonna change. Some of you will do it for about two seconds and some of you that are really disciplined, you might do it for months. Some of you might even do it for years and then one day you wake up and say, what do I believe? And just walk away from the faith. Because you, you never truly saw Jesus for who he is and it never truly changed your values. You were just following a set of rules your whole life. Scary place to be. And, and, and John's trying to prevent that. He's trying to show us this is who Jesus is. Consistently putting up Jesus for all that he has done and who he is. In a believer's life, this love command is possible because of Christ and the gift of the Spirit. This is kind of what verse 8 points us to. At the same time, in verse 8, John 2, 8, at the same time, it's a new commandment that I am writing you, which is true in him and you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So what, what it says in here, it says, true in Jesus and true in you because the darkness is passing away. This is possible because the light has shone in your life. And that light is, is Jesus. It's through the Holy Spirit and the Word. It's been shined in, into your heart and it's changed. This new, newness is threefold from right straight from the passage. First, it is new and true in Jesus. Second, it is new and true in us. Those who walk as he walks, which goes back to verse 6. And third, it is new and true in us because the darkness is passing away. Darkness is on the run and it cannot outrun the light. The light of the world has come, brothers and sisters. The light has been shown. John 8, 12 says, again, Jesus spoke, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Because we are in Christ, we have union with Christ, the darkness is passing away. And the darkness is the lack of love we have for one another. See how these two go together? The lack of love is the darkness is passing away. 
That's why I started by saying that there's no neutrality here. John is saying we're either loving or we're hating. There's no neutrality. John 2, 9 through 11 says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because his, um, the darkness has blinded his, eye, blinded his eyes. How does John understand hate? For John, the answer lies primarily in what one does. Hate is the absence of the deeds of love. That's how he understands what hate is. It's the absence of of the deeds of love. To walk in the light is to love one another. It's to love your brother. It's to love your sister in Christ. And then as you work on that and do that well, then you can work on those that, that are consistently always walking in darkness. And then eventually you will grow and, and Christ will be working in you so much and the Spirit working in you so much that you can actually love your enemies. A good account of that is the Amish folks up in Lancaster when someone went in and gunned down their children and, and how fast they went to love their enemy. There's a whole book about that. It's pretty remarkable. So hate is the absence of the deeds of love. To walk in the light is to love one another, to love your brother, to love God, to love your sister. They're all concrete actions. If these are missing... It is not because love can be neutral or can exist unexpressed. Love unexpressed is not love at all. Love has no neutral capabilities. When it is absent, hate is present. In this instance, hate is the failure to deny oneself, the unwillingness to lay down one's life for a brother. It's considered its own plight first, disregards the, the robbed and the afflicted, despises the little ones, makes no effort to welcome the stranger, close the naked, or help the sick. So you're just flipping all the things that God commanded us to do. These are the things that, that Jesus said we are to go do. This is how we are to love one another. And if you're not doing those, if there's an absence of those, then what John is saying is that is hate. And then if we're hating, then we're walking in darkness. So what does it mean to be in the light? It means to be in a whole new realm, to be under a ruling influence. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. One, one idea or illustration I had of, of this actually walking in the light, of being in a different realm, is think about the effects of alcohol. There, there's a sense if you drink too much you are in the realm of alcohol. You're under the influence of alcohol, right? In fact, if you get behind the wheel and get pulled over and you just had maybe one too many, they give you a ticket that says driving under the influence. This is what it's called to be in the light. Is you are under the influence of the love of God, of, of the word of God. Again, Colossians 1.13 says, We are moved from the realm of darkness to the realm of light and are, are now influenced by seeing everything in the light of Jesus. He's awakened us to who Jesus is, to all that he has done. Verse 9 says, The true light, 
which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. How we love one another gives evidence of living in this new realm. Not because we feel like it, but because we have seen the light and we value the light and we choose to love. We choose to love. Verse 9 essentially says, If you say you are in the light, experiencing the life of God, yet you continually hate your brother, only one conclusion can be drawn. You are still in darkness. The realm of spiritual death and moral corruption, evil and wickedness, you still belong to the devil. Verse 10 provides the contrast. If you are consistently loving your brother, you continually abide in light and give evidence that you have the life of God in you. Those two verses are a compare and contrast. I think for me at least, this has been the hardest truth in 1 John to process. If my life has no action of love toward the other, then I am hating them. There's no neutral position according to John. And if I am not loving, then I am hating according to John. And he finishes in verse 11 by giving us four truths about us. You are in darkness. You live in darkness. You do not know where you are going. And you are blind. We are like blind men in a dark room who have no idea where they are or where they are going. It is a true tragedy. Brother and sister, today John calls you to step out of the darkness and into the light. John calls you to love, not hate. Choose to love today. Not to earn approval. Not to earn your salvation. Choose love because as John is going to come back later in his writings and say, we love because he first loved us. He first loved us. And that love is the same agape love that we've been talking about. That means that he's looked down and seen that you have value, that he is treasuring you, this love he has for you. And whenever we see that kind of love, then we, our hearts are freed up to go and love others in the same way. See, because this is why love matters. It not only shows that you're walking in the light, but it shows the world around you who God is and especially what Jesus has done. See, this kind of love, not the, the emotional love that comes and goes, but this volitional love that, it, that is rooted in and grounded in the love that God has shown for us, that kind of love can truly change the world. It'll change your life. It'll change your family's life. It'll change your neighborhood's life. It truly will change the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that your word shows us specifically the love that you have for us. Lord, that, that we have been valued by you. That we are precious in your sight. That's truly incredible. Father, I just ask today if, 
If there's someone here in the sound of my voice or listening on the internet, Lord, that has not truly seen Jesus for who he is, Lord, I pray for them right now that you will send the Spirit to change their hearts. Lord, maybe sometime during this last 30 minutes that you you have done that. And, and, And Lord, I pray that they would turn and they would repent. They would go to Christ. They would ask for forgiveness. And they would begin trusting in you. And, and Lord, I, I pray that they would, they would see the, and feel and understand the wonderful love that you have for us. And Lord, again, it's another, for those that are walking, we, we have assurance as we look at our lives and see this love played out. Not perfectly, never perfectly. But Lord, we should see progress. One little step at a time. Lord, I pray for those that are walking and asking you right now, how should I be loving? Lord, I pray that you would answer them. Lord, I thank you for your word. Most of all, I thank you for Jesus. We give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.